Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Kantar's Sustainable Futures webinar, where every two weeks we explore the impact of social environmental issues on the world of business and brands. And we do this with guests from industry, finance, academia, social business and NGOs. My name is Jonathan Hall and I'm managing partner of Kantar's Sustainable Transformation Practice. Kantar is a world leading data analytics and consulting business and the Sustainable Transformation Practice works at the intersection of brands, people and sustainability. And I'm delighted to have with me today Dominic Powers from Dentsu and Trez Chan from Kantar. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'd love to start by just asking you to each of you to introduce yourselves. I'm sure do it far better than I do. So, Dominic, can we start with you? Sure thing. Yeah. So, my name is Dominic Powers. I'm the Chief Growth and Innovation Officer for Dentsu in Asia Pacific, and I spend my time working with our clients, understanding how we can help them best grow and do that in a way that's meaningful and sustainable, while considering everything that we have to in this changing world around us. Brilliant. Thanks, Dominic. And we'll be talking about a lot about the changing world around us. Uh, Trez. Hi, uh, I'm Trez. I lead the Sustainable Transformation Practice at Kantar. And I, again, spend my time kind of working with, you know, brands, understanding how to help them grow sustainably, but also kind of really unpacking what that means in APAC as we start this journey, you know, um, in the past few years, as that's kind of very specific as well to the region that could be quite different to to rest of world. So that's where I spend my my time. It's a real delight to have both of you on today. And we've got some fantastic um, subject matter because we're here today to talk about the, the groundbreaking report that Dentsu and Kantar have recently collaborated on. So marketing a better future. And I want to start by framing the conversation here for listeners. So it'd be great if you could tell us about the objectives of this piece and how you went about developing the content. I don't know who'd like to jump in. I can start first and then Dom, Nick, you know, kind of build in. So, I mean, as I said, you know, sustainability transformation is not a recent topic, right? But I think during the pandemic, it's completely accelerated uh, from a consumer perspective. You've, you know, we've seen a lot of kind of coverage around that. You know, but at the same time, it's still kind of a bit of unknown in terms of how to transition and what does it mean uh, for the region. For you know, and and that's where conversation started between Densu and Kanta because I mean, both of us we've got you know our own sustainable practices. We need to have help you know brands grow in this space sustainability and profitably, right? And with that, that's where you know marketing a better future really study was um, the, cons- the 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 partnership started. And that's really kind of understanding what does it mean for APAC, right? We know that a subject is a topic that's absolutely critical, but does how does it how does it manifest differently? What does it mean for us to kind of do that in the region? And and that was why we kind of did the study together. And that's and that's really anchored in um, understanding marketeers' challenges in the region. So we spoke to over 70 marketeers through a survey that we've done and also kind of conducted in-depth uh, interviews with them, but all off the basis of a lot of extensive knowledge that Densu and Kanta both had already based on existing, you know, uh, studies around sustainability. So that's, yeah, so that's where I started and hope from there we can provide some um, thoughts around how we move forward with this. Dom, do you want to build on this? Yeah, I think that's just one thing I'd like to add because I think it's, it's really interesting how it, how it did come about. You know, the 
the genesis of this project goes back to, to early 2020, in fact. And we originally set out to paint this picture of what corporate sustainability looks like in the Asia-Pacific region. And, and when we finally fielded it, as as you said, Trez, there were 70 marketers that we interviewed and also corporate execs um, that were surveyed, we found that it, it didn't actually represent what we'd initially set out to actually show. It showed something very different, and I suppose to some extent alarming. And it showed us that the marketing function itself and the marketing departments were really lagging behind other divisions within their, their corporations in terms of driving sustainability agenda and, and what that meant for them. And so I think if we look at that, it, it's something that set us up to release you know, a pretty groundbreaking piece of research that will show what the challenges are, but we're kind of hopeful it will also allow us to show what the opportunities are. And I think those opportunities are, are really important because we want this to be that call to action for marketers and brands. When they're thinking about net zero, that's great, but, but net zero is really is not enough. It's just a starting point. And I, think I say that because if we look at the frame in which we sit at the moment with you know, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which you know, we're all trying to align to, we're not going to hit them until 2065. You know, that's 35 years later than envisage, and that's just simply too late for humanity and the planet. And so I hope this can show why marketing really must lead the new wave of corporate sustainable transformation. You know, we have the right and we have the obligation to do that. Great. That's a fabulous setup. Thank you so much, both. And so, Dominic, you were just talking there about these unlooked-for findings, um, some very significant implications for marketing, but also opportunities for, for marketeers. So it would be great now to turn to to go the next level down now and really talk about those big headlines that are coming out of the work beneath that that major finding that uh, that hit you between the eyes. Yeah, and I suppose it's one big headline that's connected, and it's that we've discovered what we're calling these dual disconnects, uh, the consumer intention action gap and the organization intention action gap. I suppose I should start by explaining what this actually means. And an intention action gap or a value action gap occurs when people or organizations act in a way that contradicts or, or fails to support their values. And so we've discovered these dual disconnects. And maybe I'll just touch on the consumer one first and, and then just touch on the organizational one after. What was really interesting when we overlaid some of the consumer research we've done in 2021 with, with this field research that we used for this report, 98% of consumers in APAC say they are prepared to take more action to live a sustainable life. And 89% of them would, would stop using a product or service if they knew it damaged the environment. But on the flip side of that, only 17% of consumers are actively changing the way they live. So they have these values, they have these beliefs, but they're not actually acting on it. And I, I think this is really important as we look at this as marketers and look at our role, because when the, uh, the six IPCC uh, assessment report came out in 2021, it called obviously for halving emissions by 2030. And, and for the first time, it started to talk about demand side mitigation and choice architecture as a component of the solution. So really the influence of consumers. And it went so far as to suggest that 
wide-scale human behavior change could reduce emissions by between 40 to 70 percent. Yeah, big bandwidth, but it's being hopeful. And if we think about these demand-side mitigation areas, they fall into basically three, three areas. Basically, changing social norms, so the assumptions that people live by, the habits they have, and how they make their decisions, so whether that's around what food they eat, how much they eat, all those kind of things. The infrastructure, so the design and use of those supporting kind of hard and soft infrastructure that enables changes in individual choices. So you know, how we travel, what's urban planning uh, been putting out into, into society to allow us to make those choices. And then the end-use technology, so uptake of greater tech by individuals you know, for how we power our homes or, or how we dispose of waste. And so this, this gap is a major issue, but what it's showing is that marketers really appear to have a challenge when closing that gap. We're not able to influence that change. I suppose that's, that's the first one. And then I've just gone to frame the second. The organizational gap is, is very much the same, but for organizations, you know, we have, according to WFA last year, 80% of marketers see sustainability as being the most important topic in, in the next five years. And 76% perceive it as an opportunity to, to innovate and create competitive advantage in that process of, of realizing their sustainability actions. But only 37% have it in their job title or function. So it's that gap again exists from the desires, but are marketers empowered to do it? And what we found, which we can cover later, are some massive structural issues that, that we need to address. So really interesting, big, big, hairy points that, that I think we're looking forward to discussing today. And I think, I mean, just build off, you know, what uh, Thomas said into the dual disconnects, right? And we're going to the kind of solutions or potential ways forward. But I think it's it's the complexity on, on both ends in a way, because they also, you know, consumers don't understand. They all want to, right? So this whole value action, there's also this level of consumers want to, I everybody wants to do good. When it comes to it, I can't do it because actually I don't really understand it or I don't know whether I'm making progress to it, right? If I'm recycling the one bag, does it really make a difference? And I think if I start looking at a marketeer site, it's probably the same thing, right? I absolutely understand it's critical, but if I measure it on my short-term KPS or KPS doesn't include that, then am I really making progress? Am I really making contributions? So I think there's, there's reaffirmation that's needed as well on both sides, on both the disconnects that you see to kind of give that, uh, to kind of move that, move that forward. So I think we can probably apply similar kind of principles, right, on both the consumer side as well as the marketer side to close the gap. But I think at the same time also demonstrates that it is a, it is a, a challenge, but absolutely, you know, an opportunity for, for marketers to kind of really be in the right position to do that because they are the ones that help frame that, right, on the consumer and society at large in terms of uh, all those choices that you make on a daily basis. And I guess it's the, the redefinition of desire in a way, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, marketers have often seen themselves rather glamorously as the architects of desire. But it's, um, in a sense, it's re reframing what desire means in today's society and in the future. Absolutely. And I think that's one that, you know, I think it's one of the biggest tension. I think it exists across the world. But I think in APEC, I feel that that tension is even bigger, where, you know, progress to a certain sense is very linked to consumption, right? In markets in Asia, China, I'm just calling our field, but a lot of developing markets, even a market like Singapore is a developed market, you know, 50 years of, you know, independence, but it grew rapidly. And it's really about success still is, you know, consumption, right? Even though there's conversations around sustainability and, and how do you then as a, as in markets, is the opportunity to really resolve that tension, 
to enable people to make those choices where they don't feel that they're trading off to what you know is deemed as a, as a marker of, of progress for themselves and for the people around them. Well, we'll come on to, to talk about that um, and the role of marketers surely. But you, you talk in the report about sort of big four big chapters, if you like, um, and I'd like to pick those off each in turn. So, so the first one is why brands aren't focused on the issues that matter today and on what they could do. So it'd be great to hear you go into that for our listeners. Sure. I suppose to that there's two parts and some of it we cover in, in the research and the findings, but there's also you know, a framing of that. I think the first is more the reality of now. And really, if you think about it, sustainability is, is not really hip and happening to talk about. Marketers don't want to attach themselves to flooding and massive social impact on, on human well-being. But brands at the moment are focused and, and absolutely rightly on, on issues like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and obviously that plays a big role in, in a lot of the brand stories out there at the moment. And I think that's underpinned by the fact that, that marketing is obviously predisposed to, to propagate the narratives of those that have a voice and, and not necessarily those that are most vulnerable, who, whose voices aren't necessarily heard on social media or wherever. And so I think as we look at it, it, it's about selling to the top. But obviously the second part when we really get deep into the research is there's no budget. There's a lack of resource. There's a lack of prioritization. So really just building what Trez said earlier. And if you look at the, the data points throughout the research, kind of this composite picture just reveals these structural issues that really are driven by the fact that the P&L rules. And that's critically important at the moment and is something that I think we have to undo as marketers, as organizations. And you know, just to pick up on some of those numbers, 25% of the respondents said that internal stakeholders resist the move because the P&L and the bonuses will be challenged. So very much selfish financial drivers. And 32% not clear on the right metrics to measure and, and how they can show progress. And obviously, that's something we can talk later. But if we think about you know, what can be done, what should be done, well, I think in, a, in, in kind of simple terms, we have to make sustainability and, and the broader impact, obviously, on well-being for, for all people and planet as the organizing principle of marketing. It absolutely has to be. Marketing departments need to be given that mandate to innovate and push organizations, not just the marketing and brand story. Because if you really look at it now, it's not about growth and good. You know, these should no longer be two separate agenda items in the boardroom. They, they've got to be seen as one. You know, and they're necessary now for, for companies to be resilient, to thrive for the long term, because it should be about growth from good. It should be that virtuous cycle. So marketers really now have to play a, a key role in that. And I think organizations from the top down need to understand the importance that they can play in changing how we operate as, as brands. Dominic, can I just pick up on one thing you said there, which is, I think, right at the crux of this, right? So um, if I were listening to this and I was skeptical about um, this whole area, the, the notion of well-being of people and profit as, as being that the and, and the planet as being a key organizing principle, you know, I might wrinkle my nose out, particularly if I was a Milton Friedman um, advocate. What what would you say to people who say, well, actually, you know, these things are polar opposites. You can't, you know, have both a profitable organization and do all of the do good stuff that you're talking about. So I think I would just be very direct and say, 
you can. There are businesses out there now that are born good, and there are businesses out there that are born from the need to to address you know, a lot of the sustainable development goals. But take a look at Patagonia, for example. You know, this is an organization that acknowledges that they have to embrace that tension that exists between growth and good. They, they know that they are a company that needs to generate profit in order to continue the good that they want to do and to continue the massive philanthropic efforts that they undertake that are focused on planet, people, and well-being throughout their entire supply chain. So you know, to say that it's not possible, uh, I think, is a, uh, to put this bluntly, an uneducated statement. And you know, it is being done now. And there are even smaller companies in Singapore that are born good, that are looking at food sustainability, that are looking at food security and are you know, growing greens in Singapore and making them a business that, that's helping Singapore thrive and address sustainability issues. But I think just to cap it off, you know, without sounding too philosophical and, and large on this, and, and to paraphrase somebody who'd been looking at this for, for many years, David Brower, the founder of Friends of the Earth, there is no business to be done on a dead planet. So we cannot just focus on profit above everything else. Yes, we're in the marketing services industry. Yes, we are. You know, I'm an agency. You're obviously on that side as well to support growth of organizations. But we have to acknowledge the role that we've all played in driving unsustainable consumption on a planet with limited resources. And that has to stop. So we have to look at ways of innovating, not just innovating marketing, but innovating the way we create product, innovating the products we take to market, looking at the viability of planned obsolescence in products. So when we look at this all, it's, it's about this systemic change that has to happen, not just from a marketing point of view, but the way that business is done and the way businesses grow, thrive, and survive. And businesses that don't embrace that, I'm afraid, don't have much of a future because consumers will make the choice with their wallets. And while we have that intention, the value, and the action gap, change is coming, and, and we have to be part of that. The next big area that you talk about in the report is the importance of leadership. So you've been talking about structural issues, um, but this notion of leadership and and setting, influencing sustainable behaviours as a key corporate goal. I'd love for you to to unpack that for us. I think from a leadership, I think it's first. I mean, one is having that that vision and the boldness, right? I think boldness. I think I start on the softer stuff. So I thought a lot about KPIs and structural change, right? But I think it's important for business as a leader, as a CEO or the head of the company, kind of really bring that clarity to that passion, right? And that singularity to the organization, bring them across. Because I think we, we talk about the, the disconnect between the consumers and the marketeers. But I think even within the organizations, they are still operating very much in silos. So if, if the leadership can actually really organize around that, I think that will be one one way forward. I think the other thing is boldness, no? So just now we, we touched on the topic of, you know, will you survive? Is it possible to do, you know, profit, planet, and, and well-being? And we already seen businesses do it, but that takes courage and that takes boldness, right? The ones that we talk about, Pentagonia, the Singapore examples, you know, Tony Chocoloni, all these are, you know, people were doing all this way before others were even really talking about it, you know, as extensively as we do today. But as you take that boldness out and with that ambition, I think you drive that that passion through the organization, I think is, is the, 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 the side that I don't think we talk as much. And I think that's critical as a leadership. But I think that coupled with then KPIs, where you then build by function, 
translating that into what marketeers really need to do to kind of really contribute to that singular you know goal and then across functions i think it'll be one kind of critical thing to really start seeing that progress within within businesses yeah and i think that's that's spot on trends the only thing i'd add to that is when you when you think about leadership and how they set the direction that behavior change that we need internally and externally has to be an organizational goal it has to be something that everybody can align behind internally they have to change their own behaviors they have to change the way they think they have to change the way they act the products and services they launch but then as an empowered group of marketers within an organization that behavior change of the consumer also has to be an organizational goal for them so that does take that bravery and the courage that you talk about because that's when you have that tension between the P&L and doing what's good and what's necessary and i suppose that's the piece where you know conversations have to start at the c suite uh, and this is something you know, Dentsu is now doing in terms of the, the programs we're taking to market, particularly through our Dentsu Good Initiative. We're helping organizations through what we're calling our canopy approach, how they can align financial KPIs with non-financial KPIs that they then have to track, monitor, that are basically driving that change. And, and that's where the courage will start. And more and more organizations, hopefully, in the months and years to come, we'll be making sure they have those KPIs alongside the financial ones. Hmm. And I think when you say that, I think culture is probably the built up elements, which is culture change. Right through that, you'll see culture change as well, which is where you start building a movement, right? So you put, you know, from the leadership, you're driving that KPIs that's organizing people around the same goal. But I think with that boldness that you demonstrate, I think it also creates a different kind of culture where it also goes bottoms up. You almost create grassroots kind of activity, right? in the organization that then can also spark, I think, innovation. Because sometimes innovation can come from all places. And if you start having that, that's where the spark of creativity can really be, you know, come through because people are energized and excited, you know, by, by that. And that's where the, the probably more intangible, you know, that you won't see immediately, but with time, that is where I think you'll see the one of the most more successful businesses really kind of driving through the transformation. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, you know, innovation, we've discussed this separately at length. I think within an organization, you've also got to not just encourage innovation, but mandate it. That innovation, again, has to be part of those organizational goals, because if innovation is left as a, you know, a second job that you have on the side and it's not key to what you're doing, we're not going to hit the goals even by 2065. So that innovation piece tied with the behavioral changes is critical. And it's, it's bringing that all together in a formula that, that companies can get behind. As you said, the grassroots can get behind once they see it's been taken seriously and they know they've got to work on it and it's gonna, going to be the, the foundation of their future growth and future survival as an organization. I think communities within organizations and externally will, will find that liberating and they'll know they can have agency. They know they can make change and that's what we really need. It's interesting, isn't it? The um, we're we're living in an era of of disruption, and even those organisations which wouldn't necessarily be sympathetic to some of the arguments that we're, we're making today um, would actually um, benefit from enlightened self interest. Because I think we are, you know, since 
what the the economists called the the end of the great moderation in 2008 we have been increasingly living in a world of disruption and and the climate catastrophe will only accelerate that that will be the biggest driver of change as you guys have been talking about and so in order to be able to build a resilient business they need to uh, embrace the sorts of change that you guys are describing and manage the risk but also i think look to the opportunity and, and mandate innovation to really capture that that opportunity that you're describing so let, let's talk about behavior change you've both been talking about that a lot both from a consumer and a corporate perspective again can we just go into that a bit more and, and understand how we can measure our success in, in driving behavior change so i mean top of it but i think that it is really kind of anchored into you know different kind of levers that we can look at, right? So I think the first thing is important is to have understanding, I think, for organizations. So having clarity from the top, but if you are then having a, a specific thing you're trying to drive for a company, having that clarity what that is, and then unpacking those issues in terms of what we call it counter fuels and frictions. So now what's stopping that? It could be psychological, it could be, you know, peer pressure, social values. Understanding that layer as well as motivators, is that where you can start kind of designing kind of interventions to solve that. So I think if you keep it at a high level, which I think a lot of, you know, at least through observation, right, a lot of companies are keeping that at high level. I want to kind of drive more recyclability or reduction of waste, but without knowing what's actually stopping people, incentivizing people, then I think it's very hard for that, for that progress to kind of really um, take forward. I agree. And I think knowing obviously where to focus those innovation efforts is, is tricky and obviously measuring them even more so. So you know, just to start in, in simple terms, yeah. map your carbon footprint and understand the impact you currently have a business and how can you prioritize innovation around your complete business supply chain to reduce that footprint. And I think for Asian companies, if you look beyond the, you know, the large MNCs, some of them are struggling with that. They don't know where to start. and you know, helping them where to start, helping them to know what to measure, how to measure it, how to be accurate, how to report against it is, is very important. But I think if we look at where we do start that innovation, I think doing it in the areas that kind of best answers the consumer needs and wants, almost an outside-in approach as opposed to you know, focusing on the push side of it. And that can really ensure that what we, what we deliver does drive growth because it aligns with, obviously, consumer needs. And I think with that approach, what you're also going to see as an organization, you're going to start to see new opportunities that you perhaps didn't know existed because you'd never focused in that area. And so this really means about kind of reframing the entire market in which you know, a brand operates and considering the right they have to play in a wider set of categories. And I think as we start to drive the behavior change, as we start to look at what consumer wants, we may find traditional companies of today that we know and love or know and hate might start actually moving into different areas that are driving good, are driving growth from good. And I think that's important. But obviously, you know, when we look at measurement, the important thing is, is horizon and timeframes. And I think while that measurement's important, we've got to give the marketing teams, the innovation teams, the space and an adequate horizon to experiment. And I think that's important because when you're bringing kind of consumer-informed innovation to market, you've got to be able to try. You've got to be able to fail. You've got to be able to iterate. And while they may not all be great measures of success, they are measures that you need to look at. And that, that helps drive a company's sustainability initiatives and growth. 
But I think the biggest thing is not to wait. You know, we've got to start now. We've got to start supporting innovation in communications and at the campaign level, you know, equipping the marketing functions with the skills, the tools, the capabilities to build really informed messaging and campaigns that drives a brain print with a consumer that then nudges and changes behavior through all the triggers that we have across across the customer lifecycle. And those we can measure. You know, we can apply behavioral science techniques you know, throughout this experience. And, and this allows us to, to shape and condition and, and just push consumers ever so gently to make those positive choices. And once we start doing that, you can then measure. You can then see the results. But the, the horizon has to be long enough. And I, and I say that knowing that we don't have much time and we don't have much time, but we need to make sure those horizons are long enough to, to allow us to, to show progress. And if we can test it, we can measure it. And as long as we can show that progress, uh, that's the important thing. And I think I'm just a bit on the behavior change in terms of, you know, I absolutely agree on it. It'll take time. We need to give that time, right? But also looking at differently, not always just in the context of the brand's progress for the brand, because it is an ecosystem, right? If we talk about systemic change, it's around how you're making change perhaps as an industry or, you know, partnerships that you built. So then how do you measure that change, right? And that's another way to look at it because you could be making progress not in the traditional way you're thinking right now, which is, you know, uplifting certain sales, but actually it could be kind of longer term actually behaviors and what people do in a daily life that will then trickle back down to your brand, the consumption of your brand. So I think that's also an important thing uh, to think about as we think about measurement. Um, I just want to build on the behavior change. I think it's absolutely critical to understand the detail, you know, what is it you're focused on, but also kind of just it's, it's demystify a bit there's actually a structure you know it is really human psychology right so no, knowing that you know even there's a new space we're going into marketers shouldn't feel like oh my god it's completely a different field but actually you're just taking a structure a framework out there and applying that lens of you know trying to, to use that to kind of get to somewhere completely disruptive and different so just making sure that people are, 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 are feel confident that there's something there that they can work with that will provide that roadmap i think yeah I think that that's that's really important because both of you have been talking about how there are things which um, marketers should be familiar with. Um, so the notion of consumer centricity and putting consumer needs at the heart, because these are things which are going to shape society. And then, you know, as you were just saying, Mentres, the idea that, you know, you're understanding consumer needs across the consumer experience journey and how you can unlock and accelerate certain types of behavior. So these are things which marketers are familiar with. Um, and and can build off. It's not entirely alien. Well, thank you both for that. So, the the fourth big area, and I and I guess this is um, certainly one of the big four um, marketers integral role to play in this, and and just how the industry sees itself and its opportunity to normalise the values. You've both talked about how um, these are. These are values uh, which are changing, which are shaping the future of society. But we also know um, that there are large um, portions of society, people in leadership positions, um, through to um, what one might call laggards in terms of their behaviours, who actually, you know, for whom these 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 values are challenging. So it'd be great to hear you talk a bit about this and and talk about the cultural aspects to to this challenge. So I think we cannot underestimate we should not underestimate the role that marketers have to play we are the generational change agents who have a massive responsibility to drive that better future 
and we have to grasp that. It's, it's time now to you know, embed purpose across everything we do, but obviously still have that lens on commercial growth so it can still fund it. And so I think every brand needs to think really need to be able to evolve those models. But meaningful progress in, in sustainability requires, as you said, Trez, that, that ecosystem level effort. And it's where you know, the businesses, the marketers have to come together with, with consumers, with civic society, with, with policymakers, and even obviously the money people, the capital providers to work together. It can't be left to government. It can't be left to one constituent. It has to be this effort together to, to make that change. And I think as we look at what that ecosystem looks like, we also have to think as brands that it's okay to work with the competition. It's okay to drive the industry that I'm in, the sector I'm in forward to impact our entire value chain as a business, because we need to be able to benchmark ourselves to understand what, what great looks like, what good looks like, so we know where we've got to go. And there are certain organizations within certain sectors that are innovating. And so I think it's important to understand that as, as we look to the role that marketers play, it's we will be the ecosystem builders. We'll be the ones that brings everybody together, that finds those public-private partnerships to drive change at a country-by-country country level, at a region-by-region region level. And I think that's important for Asia as we look at you know, where we currently sit in time. This is the Asian century. And it's been set up by the consumption that we've driven for the past you know, 23 years now. And that's what's really helped us grow to where we are and, and even overcome some of the, the global financial crises we've had. But we have to also make it a sustainable century. It, it has to be sustainable. And so I suppose that role that we have to play has to be acknowledged by us and us as a whole. We are the ones that can really make a difference because we're that connection between the brand and the consumer. We have that connection like no other function in an organization has. And we need to make that one that is bi-directional and not unidirectional. And that's where we have the ability to be that generational change agent. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I think taking off kind of in a same to the same point of ecosystem, right? But then looking at from a consumer perspective, from a people perspective, right? Really tapping into the generation, our generation, our millennials, our Gen Zs, and especially our Gen Zs and maybe even the alphas, right? As they, as they come of age, where in school, they're already, I mean, we are talking about learning as we go, but actually, you know, my kids, they're already learning it at this point. Maybe some of them are still conceptual, some of the things around, you know, what you can do for the planet, but they're definitely kind of being, you know, kind of driven, awareness is built there. They are taught to kind of think about the planet. So then how can we learn from the alphas, the Gen Zs, the consumers, right? And, and, and drive that innovation forward. When we talk about shaping of culture, we have been in, in Asia, progress, for example, as I touched upon earlier, is defined by consumption, right? But how can we find another, another, another way for people to feel that progress, right? And that's where maybe that's where we need to really understand that from, 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 our, from our people or from the younger, from the younger generation. If you think about luxury, right? Can we reframe luxury? So it's not just about buying more, right? Circularity, we talked about it. Repairables. If you hear the word repairables right now, I think, oh my God, old, you know, not very exciting, thrift. Maybe you can reframe it differently. If you think about generation now, many of them don't even aspire to have cars. 
I think in some of the in, our, in Asian society, I think there's an expectation you have to buy a home. Maybe you don't have to anymore. I don't know, 20, 30 years from now, you know, where it is about the power of the collective. But at the same time, we have to obviously be cognizant that we still want to generate profitable growth, the sustainable. So how do you then disrupt that? But then that disruption could also then come from understanding what are the things that can give that joy, even Christmas. I'm thinking last year, Christmas. Christmas, obviously, you have the elements of surprise, that fabulous moment when you open. But at the same time, there's a lot of consumption today, right? There's not a lot of alternatives. So how do you create those alternatives that gives you those experiences as we as human beings crave for, right? Whether it's the social element, whether it's that reward element. And I think that's critical. And having that mashed up with the creativity that marketeers have, we can then come with through either innovative products, but also innovative ways to really kind of reframe what is desirable and how can we then live you know differently in the in in, in the asian century as short, as you call it. and we can lead the way because we can leapfrog and i think you're you're really really on the nail there with, with one point that i think is overlooked and that is the changing attitudes of how millennials gen z's and alphas live their life and you know if you look at broad brushstrokes asia pacific excluding australia you know, the average age at which you can own your own home, I think is now 46 years old. And that's obviously a massive generational shift. And that is actually pushing people away from owning. Okay, that's one thing. It's a societal change. But then think of the impact that has potentially on white and black goods companies. So you have a generation of consumers who no longer need to buy the white goods themselves. The landlord has to provide them. So that that circularity, the the right to repair is going to be something that's, that's massive. And that's one thing I think that's, that's not yet really been looked at at companies, innovative business models that allow them to continue to service the needs of the landlord, which would be different to the need of a homeowner. And again, with, with transport, exactly the same. Cars are expensive to own, very rarely use them. So what does that mean for the auto industry? And you know, potentially that means... A leasing business looks very, very different in 20 years to what it does now. And it may be you lease by the hour, you know, where we've got all of these great uh, mobility tech companies cropping up. They could be the future of actual auto manufacturers. And, and all of these things that I think if we look at it with the lens of marketing for a better future, there's such a massive role for marketers to play in understanding the consumer psyche and, and what that means for the future. Because definitely the future of 20 years down the line looks very, very different to where we're sitting today. And I love that, what you're both talking about, because it's a real sense of optimism and excitement, isn't it, um, about what that future could hold rather than, you know, being either depressed or guilty or, you know, unexcited by it. I think what you're both talking about there is something which is hugely challenging, obviously, but actually is a privilege to, to be a part of. So you've both covered a huge amount of ground. What I'd love to just end with is if there was one thing that you'd like listeners to leave this podcast with, what, what would that be? Um, Dominic, can I start with you? Wow. Yeah, it's a big one. Net zero has been the topic of the day for years. And, you know, I think it, it's great. More and more organizations are setting up and moving towards their net zero targets and initiatives, and, you know, whether they're verified by organizations like the Science-Based Target Initiative or, or whether they're 2030, 2040, 2050 goals, whatever they are. But it's just a starting point. So so please remember this. You know, we have to now look beyond net zero. It can't just be about minimizing our negative impact. 
It's got to be restorative. It's got to be about regenerative. It's got to be about making sure we can seek profits by doing that so we can continue to drive innovation. We can continue to be regenerative. And that does require, and I'll say it again, a system-wide net positive transformation. It's something that makes CFOs very uncomfortable. It makes CEOs very uncomfortable. But the positive impact that that can bring, the well-being for people and planet, is the only way. And as we sit here in the days where the oil companies have just announced record profits, we have to look beyond that. We have to look at the future that doesn't see that. We have to look at a future where that regenerative work that we're doing is going into sustainables, is, is helping organizations become sustainable. Because if we're focused on net zero, it's already too late. Thanks, Dominic. Tres. All right. I don't know if it's two in one, but I'll give it, give it a go. And this is one thing. I mean, we talked about that boldness, right? The creative, the innovation. So absolutely marketers to take that and kind of acknowledge the opportunity that is there, but to really think about how can they create innovations or alternative business models that also mainstream sustainable options. We haven't really talked about that yet. But I think it's not just about premium, you know, a certain segment. It's solutions that are mainstreaming so that it becomes part and parcel of everyday life, like, you know, 20, 30 years from now will be completely different. But also as part of the business model, it actually allows us to kind of solve for social inequalities in this region, in many markets of this region, APAC, through this new business model. There might be new economies that come up from it, right? From the examples you talked about, refurbishment, whether it's mobility, whether it's clothes or whether it's food. There will be completely new economies and new jobs and, and, and uh, yeah, and, and hopefully close that, you know, the social kind of a gap that we've been seeing opening over the past few years as well. So that's what I hope to to see. Well, look, thank you both so much. We've covered a huge amount of ground and I think we're going to have to come back to this, uh, this topic and this report because I know we've really only just scratched the surface. So really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, the, you know, I'd encourage everyone to go and look at this uh, report. You know, Dominic talked about the unlooked for findings that we've had. And this really encapsulation in the, the notion of a dual disconnect between consumer intention action gap and the, the corporate intention action gap. And then once we started to drive further down into the detail that the structural issues that uh, corporates are facing and that need to be overcome, um, the fact that leadership needs to be bold and remove silos, mandate innovation in a world of huge opportunity as well as huge risk, of course that actually we could hold on to alignment around the consumer and start to accelerate the fuels and and unblock those those frictions for them to to achieve the behavior change that we're talking about so that marketers can become the generational change agents that i think everyone um, is very excited by and and particularly in as you guys say in your part of the world in the asian century so thank you so much for, for joining today thank you for having us thank you You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.